Yeah. All right, now we move to Yom Kippur, which is uh, this coming week. Uh, so Yom Kippur, we have the Tadach, we have the the Machsorim. So Yom Kippur is uh, completely different in terms of the themes of Yom Kippur. It's not, it's not primarily about God's kingship, although the idea of God's kingship is present on Yom Kippur. And it's not primarily about God's judgment, so Yom Kippur is also called the Day of Judgment. It's a Day of Judgment. But the difference is that on Yom Kippur, it's much more about the response to judgment. It's about uh, repentance. Yom HaKippurim is called, the Day of Kippurim, the Day of Atonement. And the service that we have is reflecting the idea that Yom Kippur is a day of repentance. Uh, it reflects it in two ways, two of the prayers of Yom Kippur. And I wanted to focus today on, on the third main prayer of Yom Kippur, which I'll get to very shortly. But first, to simply point out that on Yom Kippur, the primary prayers of Yom Kippur are two. First, there is the confessions, the vidui. Confession, vidui or confession, is part of part of repentance. The Rambam, in fact, when he talks about repentance, talks about the mitzvah of of, uh, of, of, of tshuva, he calls it. Tshuva. He has a whole section, Hilchot Tshuva. The Rambam made it up. Hilchot Tshuva is amazing, actually. There are ten chapters in Hilchot Tshuva. There's a custom to every day, it's already made Tshuva to study one chapter. So Hilchot Tshuva, which the Rambam invented, um, he says, there's a mitzvah to do Tshuva all the time, not just Yom Kippur, always. And the mitzvah has an act associated with it, a speech act called vidui. The Rambam, the mitzvah is not the speech. You can say, say it's not the speaking per se, that's the mitzvah, that's the act of the mitzvah. But to use Rabbi Soloveitchik's terminology, I would say the act of the mitzvah is speech, but the fulfillment is, is, is of tshuva is not the speech. The fulfillment is your state of being. But you, but we, it's something that Rabbi Salvation developed. One of his core ideas was that you often distinguish between the action that the halacha requires and the fulfillment, which is different. So they, you can, there are many acts that someone who's in Avelut does. A mourner does many things. But the fulfillment of Avelut is not the act. The fulfillment is the state of being, sadness or the introspection or the medit- whatever it is. It's a good question. What exactly is that state of sorrow? But the halacha says in order to get there, you should do A, B, C, D, E, or whatever. So when you're on, in terms of tshuva, the Ramam says there's, there's a mitzvah to do tshuva. There's one act associated with tshuva, which he called vidui. Vidui is the first step or the essential step in, 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 in the mitzvah of tshuva. Because in, in terms of the speech, it, when spe- speech is important, it, that it sort of concretizes something, and it sort of uh, it makes it real. It takes it outside my own inner state, and it becomes something much, much more objective, sort of objectifies it. Then we can think about it, and then we can uh, respond. So that's the Rambam's Vidui. So on Yom Kippur, we are saying Vidui. The Vidui of Yom Kippur, just very briefly, <coughs> is like this. The, the, Let's talk about the Ashkenazic rite. I don't know what the, what the Sephardim do, I don't know. But the Ashkenazim have typically two different viduyim. 
that we Ashkenazim say. The short and the long one. The short one is the little uh, alphabetic acrostic, uh, Ashamnu, Bagadnu, Gazalnu, Dibarnu, Dolfi, Yavinu, Vishanu. That's a vidui. And even though the Gemara says that vidui and chuva is very personal, everybody should be should mention their own particular issues. But on Yom Kippur, the text helps us and gives us a formula. So the short formula on Yom Kippur is Ashamnu. And that's recited in all of the prayers of, uh, of, uh, of Yom Kippur. Um, that is to say, the five prayers of Yom Kippur. There are five prayers on Yom Kippur. There's the night, Ma'ariv at night, Shachri in the morning, Musaf, because it's a holy day, we have the additional Musaf prayer. Then we have Mincha, and then we have Ne'iwa. It's unique to Yom Kippur. So we have five prayers. In each of the five prayers, we say Ashamnu both in the silent Shemona Esrei, and when the Chazan repeats the Shemona Esrei, we also say Ashamnu. So we have ten Ashamnus on Yom Kippur. Actually, there's even an Ashamnu before Yom Kippur, because in Mincha, before Yom Kippur, we also have Vidu in the silent Shemona Esrei, also Ashamnu. That's the short Vidu. And there's the long vidui called Achet. It's also a, a double alphabet there. Achet, right, goes through the whole alphabet. Again, it's a formula. And Achet is recited, of course, before Yom Kippur at Mincha, and then it's recited at night. It's recited at night twice, both in the silent Shemona Esrei, and then afterwards, at the end of Slichot, it's recited again, twice at night, twice at Shacharit, twice at Musaf. Twice in Mincha, and then we come to Ne'ira. Do we say Al-Khayr in Ne'ira? We do not. We, don't say, we do say Ashabnu in Ne'ira, but we don't say Al-Khayr in Ne'ira. Instead of Al-Khayr, we, we say something else. I'll get to that in a second. But that, those, are called, those are the confessions of, of Yom Kippur. There is an additional custom, very interesting custom, that is done by many, both Ashkenazim and Svardim, and that is to say confession just before Kol Nidre. Just before Kol Nidre. And there are different, different confessions that were written for before Kol Nidre. The Sephardim have several. The most famous Sephardic Vidui, anybody know? What is the very prevalent Sephardic Vidui? So it's L'choa to Shukati which is written by the, uh, by the uh, Ibn Ezra. The Ibn Ezra wrote a very, very beautiful vidui to be recited just as Yom Kippur is beginning, just prior to Yom Kippur. And the Ramban al-Torah, by the way, m- makes the point, also he mentions the idea, of, I think it's al-Torah, it's in the Ramban, that the custom is to say vidui as we enter into, into Yom Kippur. So in short, vidui confession is central to Yom Kippur. It's not present at all in Rosh Hashanah. But then why is it outside the structure of the, of the Amidah per se? It's not outside the structure. Well, it is like this. Okay, I'll, I'll explain. When do we, the question is, when do we say the Vidui? So it's like this. The Vidui, it's interesting, is recited in two different places. There is the silent Shvona Esrei and the Chazaris Hashats. In the silent Shvona Esrei, in the silent Shemona Esrei, when do we say Vidui? We say Vidui after all the blessings of the Shemona Esrei, but before we step back. Before we step back. 
So it's said outside the structure of the blessings, but it's said before you step back from the Shvona Esrei. So Shvona Esrei, which is called Amida, another term for Shvona Esrei is the Amida. When does it actually end? The answer is there are two different endings to the Shvona Esrei. One, one ending of the Shvona Esrei is when you finish the last blessing. Shvona Esrei consists of a set of blessings. Let's start with that. So on Yom Kippur, there's seven blessings. On all the holidays, there's seven except for Rosh Hashanah, there are nine. So when you so the, when you said the last blessing, which is about peace, is the last blessing. Shalom, some say on the high holidays. Doesn't matter. The point is that's the end of the that's the end of the Amida in terms of the blessings. But it's not actually the end of the Amida. This is actually an important point. The Amida does not end when you finish the blessings. The Amida ends when you step back. So for example, you're still standing in prayer, but the prayer that you say afterwards is a personal prayer. The Gemara speaks of we, there's a custom, for example, to say after Shavuot Esrei, Elokai Nitzar. On Yom Kippur, there's a different, right? On Yom Kippur, there's a different ending. Ashalom Notzarti, Eni Kedai. Those are prayers that are found in the Talmud. So, this rabbi said this prayer, this rabbi said that prayer, this rabbi said this prayer. So, in the, the Siddur, in the Machsah, we have co-opted some of those prayers. But essentially, the stuff you say after the last blessing is all personal and private. You can stand there for an hour if you want, as long as you want. Those are private prayers. And when you're standing, before you step backwards, you're still davening. How do you know this? Let's say, from a halachic standpoint, for example, let's say the following is the rule. Let's say it's Rosh Chodesh. Let's say it's Yantav. Sukkot, whatever. You forgot to say Yagav Yavu. You forgot to say Yagav Yavu. It's Sukkot. You forgot to say Yagav Yavu. The halacha is, if you, if, you, if you step back, if you finish davening, and you didn't say Yala V'yavo, you have to repeat the Shavon Esrei. However, what if you remembered before you finished? So the rule is, if you remembered before you finished, as long as you didn't step back, even you finished all the blessings, but as long as you didn't move back, you're still considered standing in prayer, and you can go back to Ritzay. Because, because the Shavon Esrei ends in two different places. It ends at the end of the blessings, and it also ends when you step back. That's true of the person, individual, who's saying Shemona Esrei. But when it comes to the Chazan, that's different. When it comes to the Chazan, he doesn't have any particular private... The Chazan can't say private prayers. The Chazan's working for us. So the Chazan, the Chazan Shemona Esrei ends with the blessings, actually. And therefore, when do we say Vidui on, 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 on Yom Kippur? The truth of the matter is, the best place to say Vidui is where we say Vidui which is after the blessings before you step back. Because the vidui at its core is very personal. How can, we, how can we all confess to the same sins? Everybody has different problems. So the right place to say vidui is where the individual says it, which is after the blessings, but before you step backwards, which is known in the, in the halachas, tachanunim liachat filato, that's the best place. But on Yom Kippur, in the Chazar Tashatz, when the Chazan repeats the Shemona Esrei, where do we say vidui? in the middle blessing. Because he can't say it afterwards. Because once you finish the blessings, it's over. So the Chazan can't say it at the end. So the Chazan says it in the middle. In the middle. The Chazan says it, as we'll see where the Chazan says it, just before Slichot. Well, the, the Slichot are also the second prog of the Yom Kippur service. Yes, my friend. Um, is the essence of the Vidoy is the personal? Yes. Why is it written in? Right. The essence of prayer is personal too, by the way. And we have a fixed text. 
It's a problem. The, 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 the fixed text is a, even a bigger problem than the fixed vidui. But the truth is that the, the, the statements in the vidui tend to be so general. Ashamnu is general. Ashamnu, Bogadnu, these are so general. So when I'm saying Ashamnu and you're saying Ashamnu, we're thinking about different things. The, 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 the question is a good one in general about prayer. Fixed text, the Rambam thought that fixed texts in general are highly problematic. But the Rambam said, but without them, you know, it'd be difficult to pray. Rav Nachman writes, you know, he says, listen, he says, everybody should daven three times a day, say all the words, that's so nice and good. Then if you really want to daven, go back home, shut the door, don't talk in Hebrew, he says. Talk in your own language, and cry and scream for an hour. That's davening. The other stuff is good too, but you know, that's not really davening. I mean, the davening really is personal. So the Rambam essentially says that. The Rambam sees the fixed text as a necessary evil. The Rambam says it, black on white. So the, but the purpose of it is to think. Now, I think that one can make a better case for fixed text than that, that people wouldn't, wouldn't know what to say. That's what the Rambam says. They will forgot how to speak, the language, another language, whatever. But in any event, it's the, your question, which is a good one, is even a better one about prayer in general. The sitter is problematic. On the other hand, without a sitter, Ramam thinks the whole thing would be lost. In this way we have, I would say, especially if you see prayer not only as a personal uh, experience, but if you see the prayer service as a kind of formality, as a kind of, I don't say performance is a negative word, but a kind of ordering of the day. You, the day begins with prayer, the day ends with prayer, etc., and much less focused on the own individual experience. As the Gemara says, and according to one view, it's, it's, it's about the sacrifices. The morning sacrifice, the afternoon sacrifice, they were identical. They were different. So then if you say it's all the same, it's about the fact that you have a minion, or you have a, a service, which sort of structures your day. There's a lot of good things to say about prayer, apart from the experience. But in any event, this is, is what we have. We have this video, except in the ego. Now in the ego, Yes, Siri, what do you want to say? In the Iwa, we don't say al-chait. We don't say al-chait. In the Iwa, we say something else instead. And if it's a master, this is found. And the Gemara says that according to one view, this is, this in fact is, is the Iwa. According to one view, it's not about the, the whole prayer of the Iwa. According to one, this is the wrong master. This is a master for Rosh Hashanah. Um, we have a Yom Kippur master someplace or other? Where are they? I'm sorry. No, get with them. Let me get with them. This is, you don't have just hook out with This is Ni'ila in this translation, this uh, Machser. This, I think, is the Adiva Machser. It's good for one reason, I'll get to it in a second. So in the Ewa, in the Adiva, on page, let's find this, 265. After Oshamna. Oshamna is at 264. And a little few more words. And then, what can we say, etc. You know the, you know all the secrets. And then you have two paragraphs on page two sixty five, which according to the according to one view is the, is all you say for the 
We don't. We, we, we have a whole service of seven blessings. That's one view. We follow that. But the other view of the Talmud is you don't say the whole. It's not a whole service. It's not a whole. It's one. It's two paragraphs. They, the Talmud mentions Atonotain Poshim. Everybody sees that there are two paragraphs on two sixty-five. Atonotain Yadla Poshim is the first paragraph, and the second paragraph is Atohiv Dalto Enosh Meirosh Vatakireu Amod Lefanecha. These are very. This is the central prayer of Neilah. The central prayer of Neilah. Instead of Alchait. We don't say Alchait in Neilah. Instead of Alchait, we say this, these paragraphs. This, this is the Vidu of Neilah. As you can see for yourself, the Vidu of Neilah is very interesting. So let's just take a look for a minute at the Vidu. Atonotain Yad, God, you will extend your hand to sinners. Your hand is open to receive back those who repent. You have taught us to confess. You've taught us to confess before you concerning all of our sins. So that we stop, we stop, Oshek Yodenu. The translation says here, we may stay our hand from violence. And Oshek Yodenu, the translator here says violence. Oshek, I don't think, is violence. Oppression. It can mean oppression, Rashok, but it has, at least in the Gemara, Oshek is understood to be taking someone else's property without permission and not. Uh, and not returning it. So which, excuse me, Rabbi, I'm so sorry, yes. but on page 265, yes. the, the Atanoten, the Atanoten Yadav Poshim. There are two paragraphs. The first is Atanoten Yadav Poshim. In that paragraph, it says, this is the Vidu of Ne'ilah. This is the most important prayer of Ne'ilah. Okay. As I said many times, you can go to the synagogue and never understand, actually, what's in, in every discipline, you have to know what's important and what's secondary. There is virtually no way to know this, except if someone tells you. And no one's in the synagogues, or a few people are telling people, what, what are we doing? I remember as a kid, I remember as a little kid going to shul with my father, and he was said to me, I remember this, my father loved to daven, and he had a beautiful nusach too, when the laughed about davening, remember him saying to me, it was Rosh Hashanah, he said to this is an important period, he said. I remember saying, saying that, you know. Kelo Rechdin. Yeah, I love Kelo Rechdin. And also uh, Nisana Tokev said, these, these two are very important, you know. And unless someone tells you, it's another it million, the sitter is a thousand pages, who knows, you know. This is the Vidu of Ne'ila. No one knows that, okay? I mean, not nobody, but few people know it. This is the core prayer of Ne'ila. You kept it a secret. I, no, I don't keep it a secret. I don't have a shul of a thousand people to tell them. I would tell the whole world. Oshek, the word Oshek has, in the, technical, the way the Gemara understands Oshek is basically theft. It's things you take without permission and you don't return them. Now, it's true that Oshek carries with it a much broader significance. Here they translate violence. What's interesting is, I believe, that this vidui, because that's all what, it's the only thing we specifically mention. You have taught us to confess in that we cease from Oshek Yodenu. The translator was bothered by that, so translated violence. What's interesting is you have an identical formula, not in the liturgy of Yom Kippur, but in the reading, in the Kriya of Yom Kippur. The reading of Yom Kippur at Mincha is very interesting. So at Mincha of Yom Kippur, we say, uh, read the Torah, and we also read the, uh, a, uh, a Haftorah. The ha- both the Torah reading and the Haftorah 
are unusual Yom Kippur afternoon. Because what, what would be the normal, what would you think should be the normal reading for Yom Kippur at Mincha? What would be the normal reading for Yom Kippur at Mincha? The normal reading Yom Kippur Mincha should be what you read every fast day. Every, every, fast, every fast day at Mincha we, we, have a, we have a Torah reading. We read Moses' response after the golden calf. Mm-hmm. And the Haftorah is from Isaiah. Both of which are eminently, and I mean eminently, uh, rele- relevant to Yom Kippur. Because the golden calf is the story that we recall Yom Kippur a hundred times. We'll get to it. The, court, the, Yom, the golden calf is, 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 lies behind Yom Kippur. In the Talmud is, that's the Haftorah you read according to the Talmud, for Shabbat Shuvah. Why? To Shu Hashem, seek out God when God is present. When is God present? To Yosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. To Shu Hashem, he bought so. Right? We say in our prayers, he must say, because this is the time when God is present. This is the time of Shuvah. So the normal reading for the fast day, every fast day, Mincha, which is the Torah reading of Vayichal. Moses responds, Hashem Hashem Kerachim Vachanon. What's more appropriate than that? We, but we don't, we don't read that Yom Kippur afternoon. And, and, uh, and then the Haftorah should have been the normal Haftorah, one of the most beautiful Haftorahs we have, to Yeshua Hashem It's gorgeous. Chapter 56 of Yeshayahu. But we don't. Instead of it, we read Mafti Yomna. And the Kriya in the afternoon is the list of the forbidden relationships, the Arayos of chapter 18 of the question is, what is the significance of that? Oh, maybe I'll come to that in a second. But in, in Mafti Yonah, which is all about repentance, it's a story. So in that story, Yonah is sent, as we all know, to the city of Nineveh to tell them, uh, to inform them that God is going to punish them for their sins. And Yonah doesn't want to go because he runs away. Finally, he's cast overboard and he, he ends up going to Nineveh. He gets to Nineveh and he makes his little proclamation. In 40 days, Nineveh is overturned. That's all he says. He doesn't implore them to do tshuva. He, he informs them that in 40 days, Nineveh is overturned. So what happens? The king of Nineveh gets up off his throne and he gives a lecture. And all the people put on sackcloth. Even the animals are wearing sackcloth. And they all cry out. And the king says to them, let's see if we can find this. Where is it? In, was that Torah here? It was the 203? 203, yes. 203, let's see. 203, I'm not finding it. 203, yes. Okay. So it says, here it is. Towards about 203, the king is talking, he says. But they all gathered, they all were They cried out to God with great power. V'yashuvu, he says, V'yashuvu ish mitakol, every person should return from his evil ways. Umin hechamas asher b'chapehem. And from the chamas, so the translator says chamas is violence. Translates chamas the same as oshek. But in the Gemara, what is chamas? Probably does mean violence or wickedness. It does mean that. But the Gemara has a, has a, has a, a more specific, another interpretation of chamas. What is, what is chamas in the Gemara? Chamsen. What is a Chamsen in the Gemara? Who knows? Who went Bab Metzia here? What? Irrational hatred. No. 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 Not at all. No, no. No, 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 no. What is a Chamsen? 
Or Sachmod. Low Tachmod. What is the Gemara understanding? Well, it's what? Coveting, that's what you say. That's probably true. But the Gemara says it's taking what is not yours. A Chamsen in the Gemara. Well, Tachmod is what? It's taking what is not yours. So that's a Gazwin. What's the difference between Gazwin and the Chamsen? Oh, we have so much to learn, you know. Above Metziah, that's it. Okay. It means you pay for it. Lotachmod in the Gemara means I, I'll pay you for it. I like your book. It's a lovely book. Yeah, I'll pay you for it. I don't want to sell it. No, I'll take the money. So I pay you the money. I give you the money. I'm not, I don't want to be a thief, but I do want that book. So that's Lotachmod, a Chamsun. A Gazun takes without paying. A Chamsun takes. So it's interesting that Hamas and Oshek, both of those two words, have a, a kind of general meaning which is true. Violence, wickedness, that's true. That's what it means in one sense. But in the, in the rabbinic tradition, Oshek and Hamas have a very particular meaning. They're related in one form or another to Gezel. In other words, if I not, 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 not returning somebody's object that I have would be Lotashok. Giving you money for the object and taking it is Lotachmod, is Chamsen. So what's interesting is that the language of Ne'ila, the Vidui of Ne'ila, mirrors precisely what the King of Ninveh said to his people. And the truth of the matter is, if you think about it, of course, it has a technical meaning, but the technical meaning is reflecting a much deeper point. This is the Vidud, because the truth of the matter is, it means that everything, in a sense, can be seen as, as, as Hamas. Everything can be Oshek. It's actually the first sin of the Bible. It's the primal sin. What is the primal sin? It's taking what's not yours. Because basically, God said to Adam, you can have all the trees, all the fruit is yours, but there's one thing you can't have. So when, when Adam eats of that fruit, what is the crime? What is he violating, among other things? Lo tigzo. It's a gazon. He took what's not his. But in, in, in a more general sense, one can say, if we see, this, if we see the world as, in fact, God's world. So we have, yes, so we, have to be, we, we are invited to partake in this world, provided that we do it appropriately. But if it's inappropriate, what are we? The chamsun. It's oshek. My nechdami oshek yuadenu. The point is, we, we see the world in the EU as God's world. We, we, we live in your world. We have all kinds of dispensations. So it's, it's what the Gemara says. The Gemara says, whoever takes anything from this world without a blessing, ma'a, what does ma'a mean? What is me'ila? Me'ila means when you take from what? From hegdish, holy objects. Like take from the temple. I take a temple object without permission. <coughs> On purpose, by accident. It's called me'ila. So if I eat anything, says the Gemara, without a blessing, right? If I take something without permission, because so, it says, right? The Gemara is the question. Says God says, Lashem, says Lashem Loa. The, the earth is God's and the fullness thereof. So the Gemara says, but it says, Hashemayim Shemayim Lashem, Vyaris Natan Levnei Adam. No, but it says the God, heaven, but the earth is ours. One second. Go Kasha, the Gemara says. That's no problem. No contradiction. Kan kodem bracha, kan uyacha bracha. Famous Gemara. Now the two psukim don't contradict. The earth is the Lord's. That's before you make a blessing. 
But once you make the blessing, it becomes yours. And the point of that is a very simple point. We live in God's world. We have many dispensations. But if, but if we misuse this earth, then what are we? Then we are, we, we are engaged in Oshek. That's, that's, the, that's the crime. And the Elah's crime is we are not fulfilling the mandate that we've been given. We, we are entrusted with the mandate, with the responsibility. We are confessing in the Elah something about the nature of the human being. The human being was entrusted to perform A, B, C, D, or whatever, and we are very far from that. Nonetheless, God extends God's hand to the sinners, to the poshim, etc. And then we add in this first paragraph, and we know there's no end, there's no, there's no limit, right? As if to say, why should we bother even giving with, with, with the list? We, we, we throw away the list. The list, we're not going to, ex- the list, it, the list would never end. We'd be here for next, till next year on Kippur with the list. In case, there's no end to it. But you have, right? But you have, uh, we rely upon your, your kindnesses and we understand the fallen state of the human being. The first paragraph, which we adopt for our daily prayers. Manoma, what can we say? We have, we, have, what, we have no insight, we have no wisdom. Our life is vanity. There's no difference between the human being and the animal for all is vanity. That's the first paragraph. It's a reflection on, I would say, the fallen state of the human being. That's, that's, and then suddenly, the next line is amazing. Nonetheless, or in addition, you have set the human being aside from the very beginning and recognized the ability of the human to stand before you. So it's not a fallen state. We say about the human being has been singled out and we have the ability to stand before God. We don't understand it, we say. It's crazy, really, right? Nonetheless, that's the other side of being a... So, so the, the confession of Ne'ilah, actually, if you think about it, is not a confession in the sense of, of, particular, of particular mistakes, which, of which there is no end. We reduce it all to one mistake of misusing this world, misusing our talents, our abilities, our gifts. That's the, that's the confession. And it becomes... It morphs into, I would say, a kind of medit, a reflection upon what it means to be a human being. It's the fallen, the human being is one of the animals. That's what it says. We created the same day as the animals on the sixth day. On the other hand, there's something special. On the other hand, there's something special about the human, endowed with God's spirit, able to stand before God. Amida, as opposed to the fallen state. Because there's a, there's a state of prayer in which we fall. Tachnun. Tachnun is the fallen state. Amida is different. Amida is standing before God. This is, a, I would say, a, a reflection, one might even say a meditation, for what it means to be human. That's the vidui. Vidui is not so much confession over here, more acknowledgement, I would say. It's to acknowledge what it means, what are the possibilities. And then, of course, this moves right into the day of Yom Kippur itself, and because we have the ability to stand before God, we do stand before God, and we say vidui, and we are confessing, and we are resolving to do better. And God has promised us that if we, because God desires our, 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 our repentance. The truth of the matter is, just one second, the truth of the matter is that the choice of Yonah for Yom Kippur, which is very striking, because it's so unusual 
it's not, it's, not, it's not what we would normally think. You read the book of Yonah, but the book of Yonah is there, actually, for exactly that reason. The book of Yonah, what, it, what the book does, in effect, is to ask the question that everybody asks, or should ask, which is this idea of repentance. You know, something, the day before Yom Kippur was sinners, and suddenly something magical happens on Yom Kippur, because we are resolving to do all kinds of things. So, so Jonah had, had two problems with that. His first problem was, how do you wipe out the past? Okay, see, now, you, now you're sorry. But at the end of the day, what you did, you did. And you, you can't actually erase that. I mean, for the most part, what we do, we did. And it had, it had all kinds of effects. And how do you ever take it back? You can't really take it back. But secondly, do we actually believe that the day after Yom Kippur, something has changed? People we couldn't stand before Yom Kippur, we can't stand after Yom Kippur either, you know what I mean? So the point is, that, that was Jonah's problem. That's, that's, Jonah is asking the question. Jonah is very sad. God forgives Nineveh. And God says to Jonah, what are you angry about? You're very angry. He says, yes. How come? I knew this was going to happen. I knew, I knew, I knew you were going to do this. You're going to forget about the evil. And Jonah is, you want to be Amitai, the son of truth. He says, this is crazy. Now, what is this? The question is, what is God's answer? That's the question. The question is an excellent question, which we, we, we allow ourselves to ask through the medium of, of Mafti Yonah on Yom Kippur, what is, actually, what is this actually about? Do we really believe in this? Believing, it's very important to believe in the ability to, to do better. It's very important. But then we also ask ourselves, is, does the, the, in terms of reality, how does this, how does this really work? Does it really work? What do you want to say? So Hamas, when the rabbis say the reason for the fall of the second temple, don't they use the word? No, sinat chinam, they say. Oh, sinat chinam. Sinat chinam, right? Yeah. Baseless hatred, yes. So maybe the Haptorah not just about repentance, but God's mercy. It is. It's about, the Haptorah is about God's relationship to the world. Which is not based just on objective truth. It's, it's based on a different kind of truth. It's based on the human condition. What God is saying to Jonah is, I have created these people. These are my creations. I don't treat my creations <coughs> the way I would treat something in kind of, kind of objective reality. I know who they are. I know the possibilities. I understand the fallen state of the human being. God has more faith in us than we have. God says, okay, nonetheless... As long as they mean well now, what the future will hold. We're talking about Ninveh over here, for goodness sake. The evil empire. It's actually the evil empire. We're not talking about, you know, some, some wonderful people whose sin is some little picadillo or whatever. We're talking about Ninveh. Jonah doesn't want to go to Ninveh. But the issue in the Haftorah, actually, and what Jonah, actually, what's interesting about Mafti Yonah is that what Jonah throws back at God. Jonah complains, actually. I knew what kind of God you are, says Jonah. Erech Right? Right? He actually mentions the Yudgimomidos. He's actually attacking the core prayer of Yom Kippur, which we'll get to in a minute, which is the Yudgim. He doesn't like the. What's this? He says, Rachel Vachanun. He says, But what happened to Emmet? He leaves at Emmet. What happened to truth? He says, All this forgiveness talk. Where is the reality of this world? What, what, what is this? What kind of God are you anyway? You know? So, how does that relate to the Torah reading with the. the um the Torah reading is some. I don't think it relates to that directly. The Torah reading is. I'll get to it in a second. You, since you're asking, go ahead. Yes, sir. Um, my question is when you mentioned the second um, uh, 
the and you were comparing it to um, Oshek. Oshek. But but you said that um, it's when you when you take something that you have paid for the tahlo tachmod. Yes, that's right. That's what the Gemara says. Right. So explain. Chamsin yoyiv dummy, kazlum or yoyiv dummy. If I want an object of yours and I force you to sell it to me, oh, force you to sell it to me. I don't, if you sell it, if you sell it willingly, there's no avera. That's what the Gemara says. I, I desire your object. I say, please sell it to me. Mm-hmm. You say, fine. So that's a question. If you really say fine, you know, if I'm coercing you mm-hmm. and I'm nudging you to death and finally you do it, that's a question. Rab, I'm the raven. But if I just take it, I say, look, I don't, I don't want to be a thief. Yeah, I'll pay you the money for it. Here's the money. It's sort of the story that we have in the Bible of Navot. Navot was a, 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 a neighbor of King Achav. Achav says to him, you have a beautiful vineyard. I, I want your vineyard. But I'm willing to pay you for it. I'll give you good money, top dollar. Or, or, different, or a better vineyard someplace else. Navot says, God forbid, it's my, it's my, it's my ancestral vineyard. Like, how could I says, be a sin before God to do such a thing? It's my connection to God. So then he goes home and he salts and then Jezebel takes care of it. Has Navot killed. But that's, that's Otachbot. Otachbot means, in the case of Achav, he could have just taken it and paid him. That'd be Otachbot. He doesn't even do that, actually. He just sulks. He allows someone else to do the dirty work for him. But that in the Gemara is Lotachmot. That's Hamas. So Hamas and Oshek, my point is that the, the Mafti Yonah of Mincha and the text of, of the Vidui of Ni'iwa, Atono Ten Yadra Poshim, they actually mirror each other. But, it's, but they mirror each other in the sense, it's not a technical point, it's that if you misuse your gifts, that's what Oshek means. You, it's like taking something without a blessing. It wasn't without a blessing. The world is not your world. That, that's the point of the, that's the idea. It's not... It, God, you have a dispensation. If the, the dispensation has to do with, with acknowledging it. That's the idea of a blessing. If you acknowledge that that in some ultimate sense it all comes from God, it's a gift, then you can use it. If you think it's yours by right, you can't use it. That's, that's the vidu of Ne'ila. Now, in terms of the Torah reading of, the, of Mincha on Yom Kippur, which is the forbidden relationships, so that, I believe, the reason for that is the following. It's a very strange reading. But the truth of the matter is, in my opinion, one man's opinion, that the reason that we read that list of prohibitions at Mincha Yom Kippur is because in the morning we read chapter 16, which is the service of the high priest on Yom Kippur. That's chapter 16. We'll get to that shortly. That's one of the linchpins of, of, of Yom Kippur. That is the core Torah reading of Yom Kippur. And that is also a central piece of the, of the service on Yom Kippur in Musaf that we'll get to in a couple of minutes. The Avodah, it's called. So the, that's in the morning. That's chapter 16. Uh, By Yikra. Yes. By in, in the afternoon at Mincha, we are reading chapter 18. In between, we skip chapter 17. There's a uh-huh. short chapter that we skip. In my opinion, essentially we are continuing to read what we read in the morning. The reason we read chapter 18, in my view, is that we are continuing the Torah reading of the morning. We skip chapter 17 for, for a reason. And that is what chapter 17 is all about, is the prohibition to bring sacrifices outside the temple. So that we actually skip on Yom Kippur, because the main sacrifice on Yom Kippur is brought outside the temple. It's called the scapegoat. Something that the Ibn Ezra and the Ramban notice straight up, that the whole scapegoat sacrifice violates chapter 17. Chapter 17 is the prohibition to bring sacrifices outside. So that would not be relevant to Yom So we skip it, 
and we simply continue to read chapter 18. Now let me tell you, you might say, what is the significance of this? I'll tell you what the significance is. It has to do with the following interesting question. It doesn't have an ultimate significance, but it's, uh, but it's, it's interesting. What is the Torah reading Mincha on Yom Kippur about, actually? This is a very interesting question. Yes? That's true. It's one of the things that makes us special. And so it's a way of reminding us that this is what God... Okay, fine. I'm not disagreeing with you. I I think it's not a a chapter that has no relevance. These are things that people do. These are arayot, are are sins that they are desirable. So people often do them. Uh, It does, yes, in the Torah, describe sanctity as being separate, separateness. We plan to do with Trisha a program this year on on, uh, on uh, holiness. It's one of, we always do these special series. We have one on prayer, mental illness, hunger. Holiness is the next one. Mm-hmm. There you have holiness. Be holy because I am holy. Notion T was chapter, actually chapter 19. So the point is, that's all true. But I, mean, I, would, I have a different, more technical question, which is this. Why do we read the Torah in general, Yom Kippur afternoon? There are two possibilities. You read the Torah Yom Kippur afternoon because Yom Kippur is a fast day. We always read the Torah in the afternoon. Every fast day we are reading the Torah. That's one possibility. Yom Kippur is a super fast day. So you read the Torah in the afternoon the same way you read every, every fast. Okay, we have a slightly different reading, but the idea of reading Yom Kippur afternoon, it's a tiny, it's you read. That's one possibility. And there's another possibility. We read Yom Kippur afternoon the same way we read, there's another day we read in the afternoon. On Shabbos. Yom Kippur is Shabbat Shabbaton. Yom Kippur is... In fact, on Shabbos, what do we read in the afternoon? We continue the morning's reading. We continue the morning's reading. So the question is, is the Kriyatat Torah in the afternoon of Yom Kippur because it's a, it's a, it's a special... It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a Sabbath. So we have a Sabbath afternoon reading. Or is the reading Yom Kippur afternoon because it's a fast day? Actually, this question has actually some practical, might have some practical ramifications. For example, the custom is that if someone on a fast day, if somebody is not fasting, they're not called to the Torah. That's the custom. Not called to the Torah. What about calling somebody on Yom Kippur for Minchu who's not fasting? Someone's sick. Someone can't fast. Whatever the, someone can't fast. Can they be called... But you want to give them after Yoda, you know what I mean? They're, who knows? Big, 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 big keyboard, after Yoda. So, can you call them for, for Yom Kippur afternoon? It depends. If the Torah reading is essentially a, a reading of a fast day, then you wouldn't call them. But if the Torah reading is a reading of a reading of of, uh, of, of Shabbos, then you would call them. And the truth of the matter is, I would argue, even if it's a reading of a fast day, you you could still call them. And I'll tell you why. Tell you, I would distinguish Yom Kippur from the other fast. I'll tell you what it is. Because if it's a fast day, a minor fast, the moment you eat, the fast day is over. Technically, if you ate breakfast, in the, yesterday was a fast day. If you ate, ate breakfast, intentionally you forgot. Once you, broke the, once you ate one time, it's not a fast day anymore. You can eat again. Okay. Yom Kippur is not that way. Yom Kippur, even if you ate once, you still can't eat. 
because the day is a, it's a holy fast day. So therefore, I would argue that even somebody who has to eat on Yom Kippur can still get the... Because get the, get, get, it's still a fast day for that person, even though they're not fasting. But it's still a fast day. So one could make that distinction. That's actually a very logical distinction. In any event, the question is, that what is the Torah reading Yom Kippur afternoon? Does it have ultimate significance? No, but it's actually an interesting question. Are we reading the Torah Yom Kippur afternoon because it's Shabbos? Or are we Yom Kippur afternoon because it's a... It's a it's a it's a fast day. Interesting is that the there's a dis, there's a disagreement. I think it's a, a fire machokis in the Shulchan Aruch. I'll tell you why. There's a disagreement between the Mechaber, the Yosef Karo, and the Ramah. What are the blessings you say for the Haftorah? Mincha of Yom Kippur. So the, the Mechaber says, I think it's the Mechaber who says that when you say the Haftorah of Mincha Yom Kippur. There are blessings after the Haftorah. The last blessing is Avatorah v'yavavodah v'anavim Yom HaKippurim Azesh Natatul Hana, right? 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 Baruch HaTo Hashem Mekadish Yisrael v'yom HaKippurim That's what the Mechaber says to say. But the Ashkenazim don't do that. What do we say? We end with what? Magain David. When do you say Magain David? On a fast day. In other words, the fighters... Is the Torah reading on the afternoon of Yom Kippur because it's a holy day? That's the Kaddish Yisrael of Yom HaKippurim. But we don't do that. We don't say that, we don't say that blessing. We end with Magain David. It's the regular blessing for a fast day. So the Ashkenazim probably hold primarily it's the Torah reading because it's a fast day. But the, uh, the Sfardim, as reflected in the Shulchan Aruch, seem to hold that the Torah reading Mincha afternoon is because it is a it's a Shabbos. I, I believe that the choice of chapter 18 of the Arayot, yes, it has relevance, but essentially we're continuing the morning reading. Yes, Lauren, yeah. So what's the answer to Yonah? So if his frustration is legitimate, it is inevitable that we will not shake, and right. it's inevitable right. that God will... So he's absolutely right. This is he is right. He's objectively right. Why do all of this if it is inevitable? Well... It, it may be or not inevitable that people will relapse into their state. That's true. But I think God's point is, first of all, that I don't look at what's going to be two years down the road. I'm looking at what's what at, at right now. And what the message seems to be, uh, the same message we have in, in the in the in the ego, which the reason is given why God, in fact, uh, chooses to accept those who, who repent. We say in the in our prayers, Kilotach post bashchatat olam. It says right the next on page two sixty five, the same page. You, uh, you don't desire the destruction of the world. Shenemar Yeshu Hashem bechimatzo krau biyoto. You don't. God wants the world. God create. God is the creator. The creator understands the creator's creations. If God would actually approach the world in terms of strict justice, there'll be there'll be no world. I, we can't get into God's head as to why God has chosen to do this, but that's what God seems to say to Jonah. Does Jonah accept the answer is a very good question. The book ends with a question mark. That's what God says to Jonah. We don't know if Jonah accepted it or not. Maybe Jonah is saying, okay, I, I, I still don't buy it, and maybe Jonah is hearing what God is saying. Yes? It's the ultimate flip from, from Moshe Rabbeinu's discussion with God. It's exactly the opposite. Exactly. Of course, Moshe relies on Hashem, Hashem, Kerachum, V'chanum. Jonah rejects it. The whole Yom Kippur is based on Hashem, Hashem, Kerachum, V'chanum. But with Moshe, God is in the opposite position. He's not 
True, of course. And the truth of the matter is, the, as I mentioned about Rosh Hashanah, God's seal is truth. I mean, what's, it's clear in the Rosh Hashanah prayers, we are asking God to overcome God's basic nature. That's, not, that's the central prayer of, your, of Rosh Hashanah. Remember the Akedah. Abraham overcame his basic nature. Basically, he's a kind person. He's a generous, kind person. He welcomes and forgives everybody. But he overcame his nature to do your will, to, to sacrifice his son. So we ask you, God, to overcome your nature. What is your nature? God's seal is truth. That's God's seal. That means God's basic nature is, is, is to be truthful. But, we, but, we, but the world can't exist with God's truth. So Moshe is asking God to dwell with us with these aspect, in the aspect of mercy, which is the core prayer of, 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 of Yom Kippur. I want to make a simple point about the Yom Kippur service. There are two linchpins to Yom Kippur. And then I want to get to the third. But the two core ones are, first of all, the confessions. And the second one is what we call the Srichot service, the penitential service. The penitential service is revolving around Hashem Hashem Kerachum Vachanun, the mentioning of God's attributes of mercy. I wanted to, just to make a simple point about Hashem Hashem Kerachum Vachanun. First of all, Hashem Hashem Kerachum Vachanun, the so called attributes of mercy, are taken from the book of Exodus after the story of the golden calf. It's when God agrees to give Moshe and Israel the tablets the second time, which means God allows Israel to build the temple, the Mishkan. It means God allows us to build a space where God will live. God agrees to come back to earth, to dwell amongst, amongst, amongst the Shachanti B'tocham. What enables that to happen is God's agreement to limit God, as it were, and to relate to us primarily with the aspect of mercy. That's Hashem Hashem Kerachim B'chadim. That we call Srichot. That's the Srichot service. And Srichot, appended to this, we have little poems that we say uh, before each of these statements of Hashem, Hashem, Kerach. We have an introduction, typically, and then we have the recitation of the Yudgimu Midot, and then we have some kind of a poem. And we, who's we? Let's say in terms of the Ashkenazim, let's, let's talk about the Ashkenazim now. The Ashkenazim, you should understand, this Machser actually, Adver, the Adver Machser, this is clearly some kind of Germanic, this is, this is a, a yaki for sure. And the reason I know it, this is not an insult actually, it's a, it's a compliment. The fact is that he has slichot in all the services. He has slichot in all five services. You won't find that in too many places. Now you'll find them among the Sephardim. And if you go to Breuer's up in Washington Heights, you'll find them there because they don't change anything. Rabbi Salavechik himself was very strict about saying Srichot in all the services. And when you open up a machzer, not this machzer, this machzer has, has Srichot, you will see that in most of the Ashkenazic, the Birnbaum, the old, or the, I don't know what Arsko has, but the old Birnbaum machzer, which in some ways is still the best of the bunch, I think. It's very clear. But in Shachrit of Yom Kippur, in Musav of Yom Kippur, in Minch of Yom Kippur, there were no Srichot. They disappeared. They didn't totally disappear, I'll get to that in a second, but they disappeared. When you open up any ancient old machzer, or any Sephardic machzer, or the Yekis, or Adwell, or whatever, you'll find Srichot in all the services. We know for sure that the Srichot were initially in all, in all five services, that's for sure. Knowing where they present, they are the central prayer of Yom Kippur. So how could it be that they disappeared in three of the five? They only exist for the normal Ashkenazic machzer, in Konidre night, you say Srichot, 
and Ne'iwa, the concluding service. Shachrit, Mincha, and Musaf, they got. How did this happen? So Goldschmidt is the most famous critical master of Daniel Goldschmidt. He has a long introduction. He bewails the fact that they've disappeared. By the way, let me make, I'll tell you a different point. Most people don't know they disappeared altogether. Let me explain. This is actually very interesting. It's actually interesting for many levels. I mean, let me just say the following. The Srichot service in general, the, the main Srichot service is for Yom Kippur. The other stuff is derivative. The Srichot are one day a year, actually, the real Srichot, Yom Kippur. The other customs of saying Srichot earlier, preparation, that's, that's derivative. Now, the Srichot, let's say the Srichot, first Saturday night before Rosh Hashanah, whatever, Srichot. The Srichot have a particular structure. They are based on the regular Shmon Esrei. In other words, let's say Mincha. What is the prayer of Mincha? You start with Ashrei, then there's half Kaddish, and there's the Amida, which begins with praises of God, then a set of requests, right? And then afterwards, you say Tachanun, and then full Kaddish and Oleinu. That's exactly the Srichot service, to the degree that the end of the Bakashot, before we get to the Vidui, the end of the Bakashot of, of, this, of the Srichot service is, exact, is identical to the end of the request in the normal Shavana Esrei. Because after we have all these individual requests, we have one last request of God, which is not specific, which is what? Shema Koleinu. Shema Koleinu is the end of the request section of the Amidah. So the same thing is true of the Srichot. At the end of the request of Srichot, we have a little prayer, Shema Koleinu. Right? What happened was when the, when the, when the censor, or wherever it was, with the big scissors, chopped out Srichot of the service, they chopped it out in the wrong place. They left in Shema Koleinu. Everybody says Shema Koleinu. Shema Koleinu is the end of Srichot. It makes zero sense. I mean, it's, it's crazy, really. What's even crazier is that the Ashkenazim, for the most part, just follow what it says in the Siddur. The Siddur makes no sense. I mean, it's obvious. It makes zero sense. It was chopped out in the wrong place. You chop and slichot out, so chop it out. But the shmakoweinu, zechor rachamecha and shmakoweinu are left there. In short, so Goldschmidt wonders how do, how do we arrive at this sad state, says Goldschmidt. So he has a couple of theories about how this happened. <coughs> Two of them are very interesting. They're probably both true. One was the following. You know, if you go up to the Broyers, I've never been there. If you, if you ever go to Broyers, go to the Yekis. So what they do is, it's very interesting because they, this is what, 2015? You can pretty sure what they're saying in 2015, they said in 1015. Nothing, <laughs> nothing, nothing changes. Zero. They don't change anything, so it's actually very useful. So a friend of mine, when he's in the States, he often goes there for one of the days. He walks just to see what they're doing. They have all kinds of interesting customs. It's amazing. So they don't say the same shrichot every year. They, they vary them. In other words, Hashem Hashem is the same. But there are many, many different strichot that were written, and they're not going to say, they say it's X number, three or five or seven or whatever it is, so they vary them. So in the machzor, if you summon the machzorim, you'll see that it says, kan omrim strichot. At this point, you say strichot without specifying it in the book because they would have to print it up separately because they didn't say the same ones every single year. In fact, someone sent me, one, a couple of years ago, someone sent me the order of the Machzorim. I forget which is Ringelheim or something. Else. They sent me, they say different ones. Which each year they're going to say that. So, but once you do that, you can forget about it. Because once you don't print it in the book, you see, then, it, then it's gone. 
So that's one theory. The other theory is that the loss of the Srichot in Shachrit, Mincha and Musaf, has to do with the uh, idea that the Chazan is a, is a paid professional. So when, once the Chazan became a... Yosem Rosenblatt, you know? Actually, my, my uncle, who I never met, he died before, way before I was born. He was the accompanist of Yosem Rosenblatt. He died very young, that was 27, he died. He was, he was the accompanist of Yosem Rosenblatt. So Yosem Rosenblatt is not paid to say Srichos, you know what I mean? Him, the, the son of Tokev is what they call Idre, the son of Tokev. Him, the son of you know, that kind of... But for Srichos, no one's pleased. That's not how you make your living. So once that happened, the Chazorim didn't really care about... I'm not blaming him, but the, the, that, that be, the focus became Tia Rabbi Shmael, you know, and Sar Rugi Malchus. This became the, the, the Davening Yom Kippur. Think about it. Tia, the son of Tokev, Rabbi Shmael, and, you know, with Sar Rugi Malchus, and Srichos, which, of course, are much more important... They fell by the wayside. So that's what happened. What's interesting is, let's get back to the Srikos for a second. So I mentioned this, I gave a little class yesterday, Zoe was there, I have to repeat this now. Says, Where do you say Srikos? If you said them. This, this Machser has them. Were you to say Srikos in all the five services, where would you say them? The truth is, most Ashkenazim, I can't speak to the conservative and reform synagogues, I don't know what they do, but the, in the Orthodox rite, Srichos should be recited. I don't say this too often, should be, but in this case it should be, because it's clearly an error. They should be recited in all five services, no doubt. But where would you say? Remember, they're always said Srichot in the repetition of the Shemona Esrei. They're not said privately. They're always said publicly, Srichot. Where do you say them? So there are five services. One second. There are five services. So first of all, at night time, there is no repetition of the Shemona Esrei. Because my rib, we have no repetition. So let's leave my rib out for a second. Of the other four services, you have Shachris, Mincha, Musaf, and you have Ne'ilah. So let's, let's start with Ne'ilah, because every, everybody says Srichos and Ne'ilah. There's virtually nothing else to say in Ne'ilah. Ne'ilah is all about Srichos. Where does the Chazan, where do we say Srichos? Where does the Srichos service begin in Ne'ilah? Who knows? You could check it up in Adler, you know, but... It begins with a little poem, actually, a little introduction. It's after Yagav Yavos, correct. After, correct, it is, but we don't know the other place. But Yagav, it's after Yagav Yavos. After Yagav Yavos, let's see where it is in the Adel Machser. 258 it is, exactly. What, what, what precipitates the Srichot in Ni'iwa and Shachrit and Mincha, for those that say it, is Yagav Yavos. In Ni'iwa, for example, after Yagav Yavos, which is the prayer that mentions the holiday, the festival prayer, and then the introduction to Slicha, Petachu Anushar, right? Petachu Anushar, open up the gates, right? Open up the gates. The gates are closing. The day is, the sun is setting, Fona Yom, beautiful prayer, right? And then right away, on the bottom of 258, that's the introduction to Yudgimu Midot. Reminds God about the story of the ego. Right? God, you taught them the, the humble one, the meek one. Right? You taught the Anav, the modest one. Who's the modest one? Moses. Moshe has the most modest. You taught the meek one, the modest one, what to say. Right? You came down in the cloud and you cried out in God's name and you passed by. Hashem Hashem Kerachim B'chan on top of 259. So what precipitates Slichot is Yahweh V'yavo. 
And the reason it precipitates Srichot is twofold. First of all, it's the core prayer that talks about the holiness of the day. But secondly, it ends with the, with the, the last words of Yavav Yavo. says, Redeem us, please. You are a gracious and a forgiving God. Chanun Varachum. Chanun Varachum is the beginning of the Yud Gibel Midot. Hashem Hashem. Kerachum Vachanun. So it's a perfect lead-in to the, uh, the Slichot service. That's true of Shachrit. That's true of Mincha. That's true of Ne'ila. Three of the five. So what's left? Musaf. How come Yavav Yavu doesn't lead into the Slichot of Musaf? Because we don't say it. That's why. We don't say Yavav Yavu. We don't say Yavav Yavu in Musaf. Yeah, we'll get to that. That's my chiddush, you know what I mean? That's my, actually, we'll get to that, but let's start with Musaf. Musaf is actually more important. There is no Yarav Yavu in Musaf. At least the Ashkenazim don't say it. We don't say Yarav Yavu. Where do, if, if you would say Slichot, Adela has them. If you would say Slichot in Musaf, where would you say them? If. Most people don't say them. Even though that. But where, would you, where should you say them? Where would you say them? You can even see it, well, Adel has them. But even without Adel, you can see where, where it would be said. Let's get to the Musaf. The Musaf has three main pieces to the Musaf. Three pieces that are structurally the most significant parts of the davening. I'm not saying experientially the most significant parts, because maybe Nisanatokif is, but no. Nisanatokif is, from a structural standpoint, irrelevant. Svarim doesn't even say it, it's irrelevant. But the three pieces to the davening are what? How do you know what the most important... First of all, when the chazan is asking permission to pray in the middle of Musaf, same thing as Rosh Hashanah. He asks permission in the middle. He's been davening for an hour and a half, but he's asking permission in the middle. Ochilo lakel. That's a request of permission. That's on page... Let's find Ochilo lakel. That's on page 158, I believe it is. Bottom of 158. That's a, the ark is opened, it says. Ark is opened. And another mystery when the ark is opened and closed. The ark is opened, and the chazan, Ochil Lokel, is a request. I request permission to pray. So what follows Ochil Lokel is the core prayer of Yom Kippur. And there are three things that follow. The first is the service of the high priest on Yom Kippur, also called the Avodah. We actually are not just reciting what the priest did, I would say more. We are actually trying to reenact it. We try to reenact it. The Avoda consists of two parts. First, there is an introduction. We have, this is the Ashkenazic text. It's very difficult, even it's glorious, truly. And it starts with an introduction, and then you get to the actual service of the high priest. It goes through it step by step. It's essentially the Mishnah of Tractate Yoma. The Mishnayot, all of it, with, with some poetic additions that are very beautiful. That's the first part. And then it says the high priest, would, what the high priest would do, we reenact the whole thing, the blessing of the high priest after he leaves the Holy of Holies. And then we say how beautiful this was, how unbelievable it was when we had the priest. And we even have a little song at the end, on page 166, called Mary Cohen. Often it's sung, Mary Cohen. Right? And after Mari Cohen on 166, 167, then there's a... This, this, this when, when we had the temple, when we had the temple, it was unbelievable 
Happy would be the one who would see this. Amazing to see such a thing. Incredible. 168. Middle of one avo. But. But what? But the sins of our ancestors destroyed the, the house. And our own sins have extended the time. So we are responsible after we describe the service of the high priest on Yom Kippur, which after all, in the Torah, the Torah reading, is what allows Israel to be forgiven. Right? We don't have a temple. And we, who is responsible for the fact we don't have a temple? What are we saying? We are. It's our problem. Because our sins have... have, have in, that's what we say. They destroyed it. But our own sins have, ex, have extended the time. So what can we do? We have no sacrifice. May our words be our, cause our forgiveness. Right? And then it goes on, the bottom of 168. What right do we have to speak? What do we have to say? What vindication do we have to cry out to the king? And what is the next page? Page 169. Bless Adam's little soul, whoever he is. You understand something? It's so central to the service. The slichot are a response. It's so basic. I mean, it's unbelievable. You don't say this. Because the slichot are a response to what? To the fact that we have no temple, but what is the, what is what is the source of that? What is the source? The source is the story in the Chumash after the golden calf. God said to Moshe, chapter thirty-three of Exodus, "Take the people up into the land. I'm sending my angel. He'll chase out the inhabitants. You'll get the milk and the honey. It's all going to be great, but I'm not. I can't live with you. I can't be in your presence because you're too stiff-necked, and I will destroy you." And when the people heard this, they all cried and mourned. It says they mourned. And God said to Moses, what can I do? What can I do? If I go with them, I'll destroy them. And then Moses sets out, let me consider what I can do. And then Moshe steps in to, 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 to reconcile. And the reconciliation ends with Hashem Hashem Kerachum V'chanun. And that story is at the heart of the Musaf of Yom Kippur. It's exactly what we're saying. It says we, we are responsible for the fact there is no temple, there is no place where God and the human can be together. So how are we going to get this back? We get it back by acting in, in Moses, uh, following Moses' uh, line, walking in Moses' footsteps, to try to get God to, to see us with different eyes, with the eyes of the God of mercy. That's the idea of Slichot. So it's a perfect place to say Slichot. And after you say Slichot, of course, right after the end of Slichot, Slichot moves into, first we're asking for forgiveness. For the re- and then, only after Slichot, at the end of the Slichot service, what do we have? In this box, um, that, that we have, that we say, the Slichot are ending here. In this box, it's on page, it goes on and on and on. The Asar Haruge Malchut, basically part of Slichot, by the way, that's included, right? That's included. Asar Ruge Malchut, that most people say, the martyrs, that's part of Shlichot. It's simply part of Shlichot that was left in. There's no rhyme or reason here, anyway. The point is, then Shema Koleinu is the end of Shlichot. And then what? What's after Shema Koleinu? Shema Koleinu went Shlichot. Then what happens next? Then we have Vidui. Hashamnu. Hashamnu. First we sing Anu Amecha, right? And then Hashamnu and Achet. 
That's the three prongs, of, that's the Yom Kippur service in a nutshell. Avoda, Slichot, Vidui. The Avoda we always say in the Musaf, because the Musaf is the prayer which we are recalling the sacrifices of the day. So in that context, we are recalling the service of the high priest. And I would say more than recalling the service of the high priest, something very unusual that we almost never do. So in one of the possible times we have this during the year, not just, to recall, not just to recite something, but to actually try to re-experience it. We try to reenact it. And we do this by the reading of the Mishnah. We are bowing down in the middle. It's, 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 it's really an attempt to, to recreate that experience of the Avodah. So that's the way it works. So that's so the Slichot are what they to be recited. Parts of it are recited. The Madras are recited. Shvakoena is recited. There's no rhyme or reason to this, you understand. It's, it's a, that's what's so interesting over here. People's mindlessness. It, it, it's, that's the human nature. If it's in a book, you say it. There's no, there's no thinking going on. Obviously, it's cut out in a ridiculous way. But that's, that's the reality. That's the nature. Maybe we should say... A, a, if we need a vidui for that too, you know what I mean? Anyway, the point is, it's, it's... Now, what about at night? So at night, Suri mentioned this, the night time, Kol Nidre night, Kol Nidre night, first of all, there's no repetition of the Shemon Esrei at night. Slichot are always recited with the Chazaris Hashats, hash, and they're recited typically after Yavah Yavot. But it, at Slichot, night of Yom Kippur, we are saying Slichot after, after Myrith, Yom Kippur night, we call it Kol Nidre night. We do recite. Of course we do. But we say them after, after, we, after the Amidah. The night of Yom Kippur is like this. It starts with Kol Nidre, which we'll leave out. We can't get into that now. Kol Nidre, it's interesting. It's a formula to annul the vows of the previous year, probably. Why is that a big deal? That's a good question. It is a very big deal, but leave that out. Then we are praying the evening service. Shema, Shona, Esrei, normal. It's regular. And then after that, we start Slichot. Very beautiful Slichot. So how did we start, how did we Ashkenazim start the Slichot service? With a little poem. The poem is found, everybody says this poem. The poem is found <coughs> on page 31 sounds right to me, yeah. Page 31, the ark is opened and we have a poem. Yahweh tachlunenu me'erev, v'yavo shavatenu mi'boker, v'yera rinunenu adarev. So what is this prayer? It's an acrostic. It's an alpha, backwards alphabet, right? Yeah. Our prayers should ascend from night. Our prayer should come before you in the morning. And our prayer should be seen by you uh, until, until night. So it means the Torah, when the Torah speaks about Yom Kippur, the Torah has a very strange formulation for Yom Kippur, the time of Yom Kippur. Me'erev aderev, from evening to evening. Me'erev aderev. So the poem here plays off the verse in the Torah that Yom Kippur is me'erev aderev. But it also begins, the first three words repeat each time. The first is Yahweh, the second is V'yavo, and the third is V'yeroya. So that reminds us of the prayer we call Yahweh Yavo. Yahweh Yavo begins Yahweh Yavo Yagia So the poet here has a prayer that begins with Yahweh Yavo The point being that we don't actually have a Chazor Sashats in Myrif. 
So we just invent one. We have made up, and it's not a little detail. There's something very deep over here about this, about the two deep points about this particular prayer. The first one is that Yahweh V'yavo is not just a prayer, but Yahweh V'yavo is the prayer which, express, which expresses the sanctity of the, of the day. What's interesting about Yahweh V'yavo, by the way, very striking, is that we Ashkenazim in Yahweh V'yavo, even when the festival falls on Shabbos, we never mention Shabbos in Yahweh V'yavo. We mention Shabbos in every other part of the prayer. But when Yom Kippur falls on Shabbos, for example, or Shoshana falls on Shabbos, you never mention Shabbos. It's a prayer that's unique to the festivals. The key word is the idea of, it's a prayer that talks about remembering, Zikaron, and it's a prayer that ends with Chanun Varachum. Chanun Varachum is not a Shabbos theme. To the extent that we don't sing a Gilmirot on Shabbos altogether. Rachum and Chanun, Rachum connects to forgiveness. Rachum, the merciful God, that's a, that's, a, that's a festival theme. The festival themes talk about sin and sin and forgiveness. The festival sacrifice as a sin offering. The Sabbath has no sin offering. No sin offerings on Sabbath. So that's the first point. So in other words, the idea being that the recitation of Shrichot on Yom Kippur is a function of the very nature, the essence of the day. It's a day of forgiveness. It's a day of penitential prayers. And not only that, it ends... It plays off two different things. One is Me'erev Ad Erev. That's what the Torah says. Yom Kippur is from evening to evening. Me'erev Ad Erev. But the other, the second and third lines, is Me'bokir Ad Erev. Right? The, the cries, the prayers, cries should descend Me'erev. The prayer should come before you in the morning and should appear at Erev. So it's based on two things. May Erev at Erev, Mi Boker at Erev. What is Mi Boker at Erev? Where's that phrase coming from? Mi Boker at Erev. From the morning until the night. That's judgment. And it came to pass on the next day that Yitro saw his son of Moses sitting down. And all, Why are you sitting by yourself? And all the people stand before you from the morning until the evening. Mi Boker at Erev. Or the people come to seek God. They have legal matters. I judge them. I'm a judge. The judge is sitting from morning until evening. Yom Kippur is two different things. It's a day of slichot. It's a day of judgment. The judgment commences in the morning. But we are saying we are preempting the judgment. That's the idea over here. We're starting at night. We're saying slichot at night. Which starts may erev at erev. That's, by the way, I mentioned this yesterday. and This is actually interesting. There is a custom... For those that wear a tawit, that the tawit is put on before Kol Nidre. What is that about? Of course, we know that at nighttime you don't wear a tawas at night. We put a tawas, we, whoever wears a tawas, is putting the tawas on just before Yom Kippur begins, Kol Nidre. Just as Yom Kippur is beginning, everybody, puts on, everybody who wears a tawas puts on a tawas. Why? What is that about, actually? What I believe it's about is this. There was an old custom. You don't see it too much anymore. I haven't seen it. But there's a, a remnant still left of the old, earlier custom. The custom used to be that many, maybe it still exists in some places, I don't know, that people would stay up all night Yom Kippur and wouldn't go to sleep. The truth of the matter is that you still see this reflected in the, uh, in the Amachsa. There is a custom, for example, that on the night of Yom Kippur, 
to recite what's called Shira Yichud. Has anybody ever seen that custom? Shira Yichud. Okay. Shira Yichud were poems written, Ibn Gabir were very famous. These are special praises of God. They're quite lengthy. And they're often recited Yom Kippur night. Together with Shira Kavod, which you all know is by a different name. What is Shira Kavod? Adam Zbiros. So Adam Zbiros, the Vilna Golan said it only Yom Kippur night and say it the rest of the year. And Shira Yichud are very long for each, for each, each of the days of the week. In, my, in the Jewish minute, we used to recite them early in the early days. And um, it takes about 40 minutes. For, in other words, the idea would be that you're up all night. You're basically involved in penitential prayers and praises, etc., all night. You didn't go to sleep. And if you don't go to sleep, you see, if you're up all night, there's a question, can you make a blessing on the towers in the morning? So the custom of making the blessing on the towers stems from the earlier... Uh, for the custom that for many people they wouldn't go to sleep. And the reason they wouldn't go to sleep is exactly what it says in Yahweh because you want to preempt the judgment. By the time the judgment rolls around, the judge is sitting in the chambers, God has already heard, God the judge has already heard penitential prayers for the last ten hours. So that's the idea of Yahweh that me erev at erev is preempting, preempting me boker at erev. In any event, so, so basically, it's Yalav Yavo. Yalav Yavo precipitates the Slichot, because Yalav Yavo reflects the basic nature of the day. And, uh, of course, it's a day of judgment as well, Yom Kippur. It's Miboker Erev, so that's the other element of Yom Kippur. Those are the basic prayers of Yom Kippur. The Avoda, you have the Slichot, and you have the Vidri. Now, let me just say something. Let me get to the Avoda. Just the, uh, the service of the high priest. That, that actually, I was thinking about, again, I didn't get to it, but I really wanted to look at the Avoda itself, just to go through it. It's actually very interesting. Um, we're not going to get to the Avoda. Let me start at least with the introduction to the Avoda. The introduction to the there's more than one Avoda that was written. The, the one that the Ashkenazim have, which is recited by many Ashkenazim, is Amit's Koach. The language is extraordinarily difficult and unbelievably beautiful. I mean, it's incredible, actually. It's one of the great compositions that we have. But it has to be studied. You can't, even though you know Hebrew well, it's ex- impossibly difficult. It's worth, it's worth studying. The uh, Sephardim say a different, uh, a different introduction called Atta Konanta. The Atta Konanta that the Sephardim say is based on an earlier Atta Konanta. We have, we have copies of the Avoda, which are ancient. I mean, really ancient. Maybe from the year 5-600. And what's very interesting is to look at the different... Goldschmidt collects them. Maybe with the Geniza we have even more, I don't know. But he collects them. The earliest ones are almost simply just the Mishnah. They're just simply... Someone's writing down the Mishnah in Tractate Yoma. I mentioned last week that this, the idea that on Yom Kippur we study Mishnah is very interesting. Because Mishnah, at the end of the day, unlike Rosh Hashanah, which we read verses, the Mishnah represents our people's, humanity's wisdom, insight and wisdom. At the end of the day, Yom Kippur is very much about human possibility, and ability and possibility to change our ways, etc., to, to achieve, uh, to arrive at a state of forgiveness. That's what Yom Kippur is actually about. But, it in, but the introductions are strikingly similar. They're probably all based on the earliest avoda. 
And what they're about is the following. Before you actually get to the to the description of what actually takes place on Yom Kippur, I'll mention one word about that also. But the introduction begins with creation of the world. See, so Amit's Koach. Let's take a look. Where is this? This is um, 159. 159 in the Adwar, in the big print. Order of the service of the high priest in the temple on the Day of Atonement. But before you get to the order of the service of the high priest, which actually begins <coughs> on 160, we actually get to the service of the high priest. It's just basically the Mishnah. It goes through the Mishnah. But before that, there's an introduction. The introduction begins with the very beginning. That is, creation of the world. That's how it begins. It's a poetic description of God's creation of the world. And the first part of it, I would say, is a description of the mistakes that were made from, the, from time immemorial. It starts with the taking of the forbidden fruit and moves to that which precipitates the flood, the Tower of Babel, is here as well. The early, the verse early that suggests people began to worship idols, and then gradually from this description of a sinful world, there's a narrowing down. There's Abraham who is seeking God. There's the Akedas uh, Yitzchak. So it's all in one or two words. The economy of language here is very striking. And then you have Jacob, Ishtam, at the top of 160. All his sons are perfect, right? There's nothing wrong with them. They're all wonderful, all perfect. And of the 12 sons of Jacob, he chose one to serve you. Levi, one son, Levi is chosen, at the top of page 160. And then from Levi, one is chosen. One is chosen from Levi to wear the tzitz, to wear the top of his head, right? To wear the urim, urim the tumim and the tzitz, set aside for seven days. He set aside for seven days, separated for seven days, right? Mafrishin kawain arosh kedata miluim. Mazim alav mechatat l'taro, so reiku maktir metiv v'litrageo bavoda. So who is this person who was chosen? It's very interesting. But what is this whole introduction about? It's not unique to this particular version. It's true of all the, all the versions of the Avoda. The person who was entering into the Holy of Holies on Yom Kippur is actually, there's a narrowing down. It starts with all of creation. Then you get from all of creation, you're narrowing down to one particular person, to one particular family passed down, and the 12 sons of Jacob, then Levi, and then Mafrishin Kohen Arosh. Then one Kohen is chosen. So when this person walks into the Holy of Holies, this person is representing all of all of existence, actually. All of existence. He represents, he walks in alone. It's interesting, no one's allowed to be there when he walks in. The Torah says, actually, of course it's in the Avod as well. Nobody's there. And when this person is there, he bears the responsibility for all existence. Which is why when he leaves the Holy of Holies, or when he finishes his service, there is this unbelievably beautiful 
poetic description of the rejoicing, not just of Israel, all of creation rejoices. This is the point. And I guess the point, I, there's many things to say about this, this poetic composition, which in a certain sense picks up in the Chumash. In the Chumash you start with God creates everything, and the, God's, the capstone of God's creation in chapter 1 is the Sabbath. And then by the time you come to the end of the book of Exodus, the Sabbath, Sabbath is identified as a day specific to Israel and to the, uh, and, and, and to, and to the Mishkan. This little, from the whole world has been narrowed down to one particular sacred space. So that, the Avodah picks up on this, uh, on this conceit, on this theme, which is very interesting. And uh, what I would say is just to conclude with the following observation about the service of the high priest on Yom Kippur. On Yom Kippur, unlike other days of the year, only the high priest can perform the service. It all comes down to one person, and not only that, no one's even allowed to be there. Nobody's even allowed to be in the, in, the, in, the, in the inner chamber. Not just the inner chamber, inner inner chamber, but in the tent, in the Mishkan. No one can be there until the high priest finishes the service. The emphasis on Yom Kippur, both in terms of the Avodah and in terms of Srichot, is in the golden calf. What is the story of the golden calf? Moses comes down the mountain. When he comes down that mountain bearing these tablets and he sees what happens, and what Moses realizes when he comes down is that there's nobody else. He's completely alone. His own brother made the golden calf. Chur, whom he had set aside to be, is gone. Joshua understands nothing. He is the wrong thing. He's totally and completely alone. And the idea of, it's very, it's parallel to the service of the high priest. And the idea of Yom Kippur, and the power of it, is that, not just that people have the ability to make changes. That's, that's, that, that, that's, the, that's the premise for Yom Kippur. But the idea of Yom Kippur is much more than that. It's that people have the ability to change everything. Change the world. Is it really true? I don't know if it's really true. This is our myth, okay? But this is how we live on Yom Kippur. Moses came down alone. But he didn't give up, actually. He's all by himself. Nobody understands. They've all forsaken. And somehow he's able to uh, gather up the strength to make the change. The high priest enters representing not just himself or his family or Israel, the world. All of creation. When he, walks, when he walks out of that Holy of Holies, he has completed the service. The heavens are, 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 are rejoicing. And it's very, very beautiful. If you read it, you'll see. It's, it's glorious, really. And he's all completely alone. So I think it's one of the messages of the Avodah and of Yom Kippur in general. It's very different than Rosh Hashanah. It's about human possibility. It's about if we believe we can do something, you know, if, we, if you believe you can do something, then maybe you can do it. If you believe you can't do something, you'll never do it. So we have to enter Yom Kippur in the right frame of mind, which is maybe we can actually do something. Maybe we can, I would just say, as a small recommendation, we shouldn't try to change the world. We should try to change one thing. Mm-hmm. Let's change one thing. If we change one thing, then we'll change the second thing. And who knows where it ends up. So I wish us all a very meaningful Yom Kippur. We should all change one thing this coming year for the good. A year of blessings. Okay. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right.